0: We're joined by Sir Andrew Dilnot, who's leading a seminar at Cumberland Lodge on how to think about whether things are getting better. Andrew, what do you mean by this? Well, I'm not really sure, and I think that's what I'm going to be saying. I think it's very difficult to find a single answer to how things are getting better. So there are some things we can look at which make it look absolutely the statement of the blindingly obvious that things are getting better. And the natural place to start is how rich are we? If you look at GDP... Real GDP per head, so strip out inflation, strip out grow, growth in population, we're three and a half times as well off as we were in 1955. So, staggering increase in material prosperity. Uh, and then you might say, well, looking at GDP is heartless, that's kind of miserable and, and economic, why don't we look at something else? Look at infant mortality, which is the opposite of heartless. Are our children dying? The beginning of the last century, for every thousand births, 150 of them died. Now that number's down below five, and much of that change has happened in the last 50 years, although it's gone on through the whole of the last century. Or well, you might say, what do we really, really care about? And if you pushed most of us back against a wall and said, uh, what do you care about most? It's, it's being alive. We're really quite in favour of being alive. We, we like being alive, that's what we focus on. Life expectancy at birth... For men, has gone up by 20 years since I was born, although I'm getting a bit old, I'm now 55. In 55 years, we've added 20 years to the typical life expectancy. And, forgive me a little bit of statistics, the modal age of death, so the most common age of dying, is now about 90 for both men and women. And here's the good news for the boys, uh, male life expectancy is catching up with female life expectancy. So lots of the obvious things that we could look at, that you can measure. If you look at the average, it's just got better and better. But there are two things I want to challenge us on a little bit. The first is that I think it's easy for us to have a sort of representative individual model in mind. So you might look at what's happened to the level of income on average over the population as a whole, or what's happened to life expectancy over the population as a whole, and imagine that that applies to everybody, but actually human experience is incredibly diverse and so it's terribly important to look at the distribution of things, to look at the range of things that have happened, not just to imagine that a single number, the average, tells us what's happening to everybody. And it turns out uh, if you look at for example the distribution of income, a particular hobby horse of mine, it's very very wide. There are lots and lots of differences going on and we have to capture those if we're to know what 's happening to people 's well being it 's no good just saying average income has gone up by a number if it turns out that the incomes of people at different points in the income distribution have gone up differently, or if the incomes of different sorts of people have gone up very differently, so if pensioners have done much worse, or as is in fact the case much better over the last several decades that 's important if people with disabilities have done well or badly that 's something we might care about if People from particular ethnic backgrounds have done well. So we need to look at the detail much more than we often do. So that's one set of things to mention. Another set of things that comes up importantly when we talk about well-being is I think over the last few decades, but particularly the last decade or so, all around the world people have started to say, well, it's not enough just to look at the economy. GDP or even detailed information about the distribution of income isn't enough. Those are all private goods, private in the sense that they mainly affect the individuals that we're looking at. There are lots of goods that aren't just private goods, that don't just affect an individual. So the state of the environment, for example, something that we quite rightly are very interested in looking at. The nature of our relationships, one with another, trust, all of these things are now beginning to be thought of very seriously when we think about well-being. So that's one set of issues to concentrate on. And then a last one is, rather than trying to measure things that in principle are objective, like what the level of income is or how many millions of tonnes of CO2 we pumped into the atmosphere, we might sometimes be interested in just asking people how they feel. So explicitly subjective measures of well-being. So I might come up to you and say, well, Ed, yesterday... How did you feel about your life? Were you happy? Did you think what you were doing was worthwhile? Did you experience extreme anxiety? And now in this country, and a number of other countries in the world, we're tracking that kind of information. It turns out that that's also pretty interesting. Uh, a natural question to ask is, well, does that sort of measure of subjective well-being track the material? And the answer is well we're not quite sure what the answer is actually it's statistically quite tricky but I think probably in this country the answer is it goes in broadly the same direction but it doesn't improve at anything like the rate of the material so in the last 50 years we're three times as well off as we were there's certainly no sign that ma- that, that subjective measures of well-being how people say they feel have improved at anything like that rate but it does look as though they have gone up a bit here again The averages, I don't think, are terribly important. If you ask the whole population to rank how happy they are on a scale of 1 to 10, and the average is 7.2, I'm not sure that tells us very much. And in particular, it doesn't tell us very much compared to the the answers to the same question in another country. It might tell us a little bit if it changes over time. But most importantly, we probably want to look at the tails of the distribution. How many people feel really happy and how many people feel really miserable. Uh, and we've only honestly had good enough data for the last 4 years to to measure that with any sort of degree of accuracy and perhaps surprisingly almost all of the things almost all of the data seems to be moving in the direction we want it to and the thing that makes me feel happiest of all not for myself but for the country in which we live is that the number of people who have very high anxiety seems to be declining particularly quickly that's very good news. Can I just ask one supplementary question, um, which is about um, lots of different things are trying to be measured, um, but there are attempts to bring these all together. What do you think about well-being measures, these sort of single uh, measures that are being used at the moment? So it would be lovely to be able to take all this rich data about what's happening to income the, the environment health, education, subjective well-being, crunch them all together into a single number that encapsulated everything. Well, my own sense is that when we do that, we produce garbage. And that's partly because these different sorts of things just are different. Um, So what's happened to the real inflation-adjusted level of my income or your income is something that we can definitely measure pretty accurately. What's happened to how happy I am important, But I just don't think comparable. And if you crunch all of this information together into a single number, far from shedding light, I think you shed confusion and darkness. I'm particularly opposed to the use of composite indices for non-commensurable data items. I, I remember a piece of work done by somebody at the University of York a few years ago, which showed that actually you could take The World Health Organization's composite index assessing health systems in different parts of the world slightly tweak the weights that we apply to different things and perfectly predict the outcome of the World Cup. Did that mean that the World Health Organization's health indicators were brilliant at forecasting the World Cup or did it mean that these kinds of composite indicators are a pile of nonsense? Well, I think the latter. Andrew, thank you very much for being with us and we're clearly going to have a fascinating conversation this evening about these issues. Thank you. Thank you.